Hello and welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I am joined today by Sarah Todd of Deseret News, who covers the Utah Jazz. Sarah, how you doing? Doing good. Watching a lot of good basketball lately, so I can't complain. Well, I guess, you know, that's that's your prerogative to watch good basketball. We, on the other hand, have been uh, not so blessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's also hard with all of the injuries and like people in and out of lineups and stuff. So, I mean, the Jazz have just been fortunate that they haven't really suffered anything big this season. Yeah, knock on wood. Uh, I was really excited to talk to you because uh, the Clippers and the Jazz are in the midst of this two game set, which I thought was going to be like big time showdown of top two teams in the West. And then the Clippers decided to make their injury report their starting lineup. So, <laughs> last night's game was a little less illuminating than I might have hoped. But I still think that we're far enough into the season where it's fair to say that these are two of the teams that will be contending at the very least for the Western Conference semifinals, if not the Western Conference finals. So it's probably a good time to get a feel for why the Jazz should scare the Clippers or why not. Yeah. And I mean, I think the way that we look at NBA seasons and especially in the regular season, if, you know, one team plays another and they're missing one of their top players, we have a tendency to say like, oh, the, this game doesn't really count. It's not a good measuring stick, but um, we're at a point in the season where these teams are playing pretty much at the level that they should be playing that they will be playing. Um, and injuries are just a part of the season and the postseason. Nothing's guaranteed in the NBA. And so I think that, I mean, at least from the players and the coaching standpoint, they're still using these as a measuring stick. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I kind of think that yesterday's game uh, when you know, the Jazz beat the Clippers without Batum, Leonard, PG, and Luke Kennard is actually kind of more representative even than the one they played back on January 1st, just because that was, I think, the sixth game of the season. And it's hard to say right. either team really had their sets going. Uh, so I think there are some interesting things to take away from that. But I kind of wanted to just start with a bigger, broader question. Um, the Jazz have obviously won, I think, what is it, 20 out of 21 games now? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> large number it's I mean I, I just wrote it like 20 minutes ago and then hearing it out loud it's like that's crazy yeah I've been like you know tracking it you know like it was 16 out of 17 last week and then I just stopped writing it and then like I was you know getting the the preview done for tomorrow and it's like wait, wait a second like we're 20 out of 21 already um, yeah. but yeah uh you know in spite of this grandiose number of wins that the Utah Jazz have collected I think there's still some trepidation I guess to consider the Utah Jazz an out and out contender but I'm here to ask you, why should we trust the Utah Jazz this season? Yeah, I've talked about this quite a bit. I mean, you can, as you can imagine, this season, that has been a big talking point. And I covered the Warriors back in uh, 2015 when they okay. won their first championship of that, like, you know, Warriors dynasty that we all know today. And that whole season as they were running through teams and winning and looking, looking different, they truly looked different. Something felt different, but because they hadn't been there yet, because they'd been like first, second round playoff outs the last few years that they'd been there. And because like nobody on that team was proven, nobody believed that it was real. And then all of a sudden they won and then they won two more and they went to like, you know, multiple finals in a row. And so I think that that's, that's just a natural reaction for the sports world to not trust people who haven't been there yet. And mm -hmm. then, and then we look back, I mean, hindsight's always 2020. If, if the jazz actually end up do being a finals contender this season, we're going to look back and say, well, why didn't we think that that was a possibility? I mean, 
they won 20 out of 21. Exactly. And how Um, many of them have been by double digits too? Yeah. There's a, a, most of them have been by double digits. They've got, uh, I'm, I may be wrong. It's somewhere in like the 15 range of games where they've been up on by 20 points on their opponent in the fourth quarter. Crazy. And yeah, it's, and they're winning like in multiple different kinds of ways. And one of the trends that we've seen this season with them is that they'll kind of get punched in the mouth a little bit early in games. Uh, And then they very slowly sort of pick apart everything that was working well for the other team. And so it it looks very mature when you string that together for 48 minutes. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point that they, you know, start off slow, but then just really poured on late because that's exactly what happened against the Clippers. Uh, right. I think the Clippers took a five point lead into halftime last night. And I was just, you know, kind of flabbergasted by the fact that they were even keeping up with the jazz, but then, you know, you put your head down and you look back up and it's like, Oh, that was a 10, nothing run by the jazz. And Oh, now they're up by 15. Yeah. And like, so I guess that's been like a common practice that's been occurring on this win streak. Yeah. I mean, that's been happening throughout, not just this win streak. They, um, before they'd lost one, they had, were on 11 game win streak. And it was common throughout those two, just quick punch in the mouth. And then they slowly pick it apart and usually pour it on pretty heavily in the third quarter. And I mean, I think that's kind of one of the reasons that I think that they should be trusted a little bit more than they are sort of on the national scale, because, you know, it's, it's the great teams that we all think about and reminisce, reminisce about who are able to sort of flip a switch and take apart a team and then they don't get down when they're hit, they come back up. Yeah. You know, I usually associate third quarter success with really good coaching and just like the ability to make those adjustments coming out of halftime and then execute them on the fly too. And obviously like, you know, Quinn Snyder is going to be the head coach for the Western conference during the all-star game, which will do you. I'm sure he was thrilled about that. Um, But I think it's, he doesn't get that much love around the national media for how good of a coach he is, but like, it seems to me that Utah's running a lot of cool stuff this year that like, like somehow they are simultaneously this three point bombing team that also gets a lot of rebounds and then prevents teams from shooting threes, but then also protects the paint. Like how are they accomplishing basically everything you would want to do all at once? Yeah. I think that it's a lot of, a lot of buy-in from the players to, to the ideas that Quinn has, because I mean, you've got a guy like Rudy Gobert who's, you know, arguably one of the best like rim rollers and lob threats in the league. And he had to accept a role this season that was really different where, you know, they're not going to run sets with the idea of getting Gobert a score. That's like, they're not going to run those sets this season. The idea is to generate those three point looks, but the only reason that works for the jazz is because Gobert is such a threat. So if he sets a high pick and roll screen and rolls down or they're running out in transition and he gets into the middle of the lane, defense is going to pay attention to that. And then by the time that they swing the ball around, you know, two or three players on the outside, the defense is so scrambled that they usually end up with like a wide open three. None of that works if Gobert isn't such a threat. And so he's incredibly important to the offense, Mm -hmm. even though he's not a part of like the, the end game for the offense. And I think that's why it's working so well is because you've got, and then you've got the way that they crash the boards with the two guys coming in from the outside and constantly looking for offensive rebounds and Gobert's a threat there too, because he's got seven, nine wingspan. So Uh, it's just, you know, buy-in because you could easily take a guy like Gobert and, and, you know, think that he would want to get his and not want to accept sort of a diminished offensive role, but he has. 
Yeah, that seven nine wingspan is really something. Um, I was at the game last night, and uh, bef- during the anthem, the Jazz uh, wrap their arms around each other, right when they're standing in a line. <laughs> and you notice that Gobert's arms stretch to like the next person, like not even the one who's directly next to him. It was, it was fascinating. Like just yeah, yeah. <laughs> a representation of what his arms look like. I I had to like zoom in on like on my phone camera just to make sure I knew what I was watching. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. It's funny because uh, at the All-Star game last season, um, when they were sort of doing their practice day in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, he was shooting threes at practice, which is not a thing that he does. <laughs> and <laughs> it just, it looked ridiculous to see like seven, nine wingspan shooting a three. It was just like, there was too much arm for it to be a real thing that I was watching. That's that's an interesting point. Uh, I wonder what it looks like when... I have to pay more attention now when Bull Bull shoots threes. It's probably something yeah. similar. Yeah. But anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I've always been fascinated with Quinn Snyder just because he has like the, like the meanest face when you look at him yeah. on television. But I have to imagine like the guys seem to really enjoy playing for him. Yeah. There's a lot of jokes that he looks like a serial killer. Or he definitely does. He, yeah. He's the Voldemort of NBA coaches. <laughs> and uh I mean, he does have that face and like his like slick back hair that like falls mm-hmm. in his face when he's screaming at players, like that just adds to the whole persona. Um, but he's, he's such a methodical person. And, you know, we hear a lot of stories from the players about how he, he doesn't sleep and he's staying up, like thinking about ATOs and he's constantly calling guys like, Hey, look at this clip. What do you think of this? And he's just always on the job. And I think, you know, to your point, he doesn't get a lot of national love, but he, he's, I think within the NBA, he's one of the most respected coaches and, uh, and to the jazz's credit, the front office and the ownership over the years, they, they've really let him play this out. You know, he, this is mm-hmm. his seventh year and that's sort of uncommon these days in the NBA. It's like, you get a couple of years to try things out and if it doesn't work, you're fired. And, uh, they've really given him a chance and it's paying off. I gotta say the the details that you've described don't make him seem any much, any less like a serial killer. I know uh, he's like <laughs> staying up at night with like red yarn and a bunch of things on the wall, like pins everywhere. Diagramming ATOs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always held out a hope that uh, Quinn would go back to Duke after coach K retired, but that is becoming increasingly unlikely. The more success he has at this level. Yeah. I mean, I depend, it depends on how it goes. That would be really interesting. And I think yeah. it would be really hard for him to pass on something like that, but it, I, it depends, it would depend on the success of the jazz. Yeah. Would, those are good problems to have. <laughs> good problems to have. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm not, I'm not sure yet that I'm entirely convinced that the jazz are on the level of the two LA teams. And, you know, maybe it's going to be, like you said, that we're going to look back at this team, like we did the 2015 warriors and think why not. Right. Um, but I think part of it is just the volume of their offense that they get from threes. Uh, right. I, I understand that like they have so many good shooters that you would just, just expect them to go in like enough of the time if you're going to get, you know, 42 threes up a game. But is there any concern that like you just fall into one of those, like for lack of a better word, Houston Rockets type lulls? Yeah. Um, they've had a couple of games like that this season. Um, one, I mean, they weren't shooting well against the Clippers the other night right. and um, and they kind of just like go back to basics, like go back to what's always worked for them when the shots aren't falling. And that's, you know, Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert running the pick and roll and mm-hmm. Joe Ingles, you know, ball faking and going up for a layup and Jordan Clarkson getting like push floaters. Like 
you know, in the paint and they've got things that still work and they've got a, they've got a lot of playmakers. So mm-hmm. it's not like they can't play more of like a penetrating type of basketball. And so I think that they're, they're more dynamic than a lot of people think. Um, but that is definitely a concern, like in the playoffs, when defenses are really trying to run them off the three-point line more than they are in the regular season, are they going to be able to adapt to that and get enough offense? Yeah. And I guess, you know, just the fact that they're getting up, you know, 42, even if you miss 27, that's, right. that's still a good number of threes that you're making in the game anyway. And that's part of the philosophy is like, you know, if we shoot close to 50, like we're going to make a good percentage and threes are worth more than twos. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, this kind of leads me into my next question, which is a little more Clipper specific. Like we saw the Rockets take a really high volume of threes during the regular season last year. And then they get to the playoffs against the Lakers and the Lakers are able to switch on them. And all of a sudden it's not so much that the Rockets aren't making their threes. Cause I think, I think they still hit like 40% or so in quite a few games in that series, but they just weren't getting more than 30 up. And I think we've seen with the jazz in recent years, like when they run up against a team in the playoffs that switches, which is happened to be the Rockets a couple times, right? The offense sort of stagnates and the Clippers are very well equipped to switch on defense. And so I'm curious, like what, I don't know if there have been like adjustments that the jazz have made. And like, it's hard to see that many teams switch during the regular season. Cause not every coach throws out their, you know, defensive playbook during the regular season, but are there, I guess, counters built in now that make the jazz more threatening against that type of defense? Yeah, there's some, they're not, like you said, they're not used as often in the regular season, but they do have options there where if they, you know, if a lineup is going to come at them with like a double big, like they would maybe with the Lakers or even the Clippers, they could go double big. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reason it's one of the biggest reasons that they brought back Derek favors. So they could play Rudy Gobert and Derek favors together in the lineup Hmm. and match up well. And then if they wanted to go small, they also have, um, Juwan Morgan, who I know like does he, I mean, this is a garbage time player, but when he plays, he, he's an excellent small ball five. And if they were trying to match up small, which I don't totally know that they would, Mm -hmm. because the way that their defense has been run this season is, you know, when they're trying to pull Gobert out and like switch him onto a smaller guard, sometimes, well, Often he's really good there. He has been burned in the playoffs before. And like, there's specific instances where people will remember him. Like, right. Right. They're like, you know, there's like five clips that people could point to and be like, look at go bear, get torched, you know, mm-hmm. but that's five out of, you know, how many dozens of times where he closes out. And again, that seven, nine wingspan, if you've got like a smaller craftier guard, that's trying to shoot over that, that's not easy. And so he can close out and block on those shots, but in general, the jazz, what they want to do is they want to, you know, drop Rudy back and funnel defenses into him and just bet on the fact that he's going to be able to protect the rim. And so when he does slide out, that's a little bit of a more of a difficulty and he has to really trust the guys behind him. Um, But I think that there's also just been defensive improvement from some of their other guys like Royce O'Neal. He's a great defender and he's getting better. And, um, I mean, Mike Conley, which is weird because, you know, he's probably on the tail end of his career at this point, but Mm -hmm. defensively, he's been really able to stay with some of the smaller guards on the wing and some of the guys that usually would get a step on the other players that the Jazz have. So there's been defensive improvement. They do have options for those switches, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know that they're 
as tested as they would like to have them yet. And we might see more of that in the second half of the season, or it might just be matchup based when the playoffs actually come. Yeah. I kind of think it's going to end up being like the jazz don't really run into a committed switching defense until the playoffs. And it'll be interesting to see how it works then. But uh, that's one of the things that really interests me about the Clipper matchup, just because like they're so switchable when you have Batum and Kawhi and PG like on the wings. And then even Pat, Beverly does pretty well when he switched up against bigger players. And I thought he was, he was quite good against Donovan actually in the first half of yesterday's game, he did a really good job of fighting over the screens and then like making sure that Mitchell couldn't really do anything, but go into pull-ups, which is obviously a very good mid-range pull-up shooter, but like, that's a win for the defense. I think if that's exactly. the shot that you're forcing Donovan to take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so- there's, I mean, there's different, there's definitely different ways to look at it because I mean, I think you're totally right that, you know, untested once they get to the playoffs, that's, that's a hard place to actually try to like do something on the fly. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have had problems with that, with um, being able to get past guys that, you know, either roll under the screen or roll over the screen uh, in a timely manner. And Beverly's a really good example of that. And so, yeah, it's one of the concerns, but you know, every team has got a concern. Yeah, absolutely. And uh you know, they, they only really had like the one dynamic playmaker in Donovan when they went up against those Rockets teams. And now you have Conley, who at least I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him like a dynamic half court player, but he at least provides some element of creation that I think was missing, you know, on some of those teams. And Conley, of course, has just been just a, a thorn in the ass of the Clippers for a very long time. So yeah. And he's been outrageous this season, which has just been crazy. I mean, I know that he's out right now, but I mean, he, he's getting closer to coming back. He's missed six games. Um, we still don't know exactly if, what his status is for the Friday game against the Clippers. But uh, I'm most, I mean, I'm really impressed by the fact that not only has he been having probably the best season of his career, but he's been out six games and the Jazz have won them all. And so yeah. I think that's, that's sort of something that we could look at too if we're talking about like, uh, are the jazz ready to actually, you know, be a contender? It's like, you know, one of their best players is sitting and they're still just running through teams. Exactly. Um, it's hard to make like the shorthanded excuses when <laughs> the jazz are literally missing their starting point guard. And it's like, Oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. Like other than Conley, there are, there are a couple guys on the jazz who have just been like traditional pests for the Clippers. Uh, I don't know, like every fan base has that idea that like, oh, this guy always plays his best games against us. But like, I really do believe that Donovan Mitchell has had a great deal of success against the Clippers in his career. I think um, if I remember correctly, they've won nine out of the 12 games that uh, he's played against the Clippers since he was drafted. And I remember asking like Doc about this last year. And he's like, I literally have no idea why he's so comfortable against us, but it certainly (laughs) feels that way. Yeah. I mean, you'll notice there, there are certain games, uh, and this happened the other night, where you'll see Donovan, you can see him when he gets really fired up and he's like really enjoying himself. And that can mm-hmm. be when they're down or when they're up, but he'll, uh, it's whether it's on offense or defense, he'll run back to the other side of the court and he'll like start clapping at himself okay. <laughs> like and like he, he's just like firing himself up and he'll start clapping and smiling and it's like oh you know he's enjoying this matchup and he that's when he usually has a good game and uh games against the Clippers you often get the clapping Donovan which I think is always a, a bad sign for the other team I'm gonna have to look for that now in this Friday yeah. game yeah <laughs> and then also uh you know Joe Ingles who had I guess 
kind of started his NBA career with the Clippers, but they cut him while his, you know, wife was on a flight to the U S and then, (laughs) you know, to make a roster spot for, I want to say Jared Cunningham, but it's been a very long time. And I think I've forgotten the details, but it's someone like that nondescript. Right. (laughs) And so it always seems like Ingalls has a really good time playing the Clippers too. And then there's like a little bit of, uh, Paul George history there too, because he just had a horrific playoff series when he first joined the Thunder, when like that was like sort of Donovan's coming out party and English was really good in that series. So there's there's just like a lot to like um, off the court too, just uh, these little fun little off the court stories, I think that make this matchup compelling, which alas are probably not gonna come you know to fruition in this Friday game because I don't think Paul George is gonna play, but it's something to look forward to should yeah. they meet up in the postseason, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what I've, I think about a lot too, is like, there, there's, there's enough history and enough that you can go back and look at these matchups um, that if they were to meet in the postseason, it would be not only a really good matchup, especially if you, I mean, if they're not like all the starters aren't on the injury report, like you said, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but I mean, interesting matchup on the court, a lot of narrative off the court and um you know, a lot of the, a lot of the best players in the game on the court all at one time, it would, it would just be a really great matchup to watch. Yeah. I, I think it would be really compelling. I mean, I think Utah's played the Clippers twice in the postseason before the last one was uh, the Gordon Hayward or Joe Johnson series, as I right. just remember it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the rosters have turned over so much since then that they probably have more history on other teams than they do specifically for the Jazz and the Clippers. But I do have one more question about Rudy. Um, I was looking through the the film from last night's game, and even though it seemed like uh, the Jazz were having a pretty good time on the floor, like no matter who was playing for the Clippers, uh, the the minutes with Serge actually worked pretty well for the Clippers when Ibaka was you know playing some pick and pop with Lou Will and Patrick Beverly. And I'm wondering if there's any concern about you know Rudy having to guard a stretch five or if the jazz still feel comfortable and like their funneling system, even if there's a center that he is going to space the floor. Yeah. I think they, they feel pretty comfortable in that. I think that, you know, part of the problem is that the jazz just haven't faced a lot of it this Mm -hmm. season. I mean, even um, in some of the opportunities where they would have like the Sixers came into town this week uh, or last week. Yeah. Yeah. And B didn't play. He was like a game time decision that he didn't play. And so, you know, that was one of the things that we were looking forward to to is like seeing how he actually matched up when a guy would pull him when a center would pull him out not just on a switch right and uh, and so I think it's just something that they that he hasn't had a lot of practice in this Mm -hmm. season but um I don't think that I would actually be too concerned with that because he actually had um and has had pretty good success against Jokic in sort of that same situation although Jokic is such a, a weird beast of his own. That, yeah. Like, I find success, it really hard to compare anyone to him. Right. Like success is defined so differently. It's like, if you keep him from shooting three of his nine threes during a game, then that's success, you know? So, mm-hmm. and he's still going to score 35, but um, I don't, I don't know that it's too much of a concern, but I saw the same thing last night that he, you know, there was, there was some success there with, uh, with Serge when he was moving out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's been weird with Ibaka on the Clippers. Like he just hasn't been as effective finishing in the paint as I think the Clippers thought he was going to be, but it's been really great having him as that pop option because not only does it like, you know, bring the big out, it also just creates all the space in the lane for Kawhi and PG to work with. 
Uh, and like Kawhi's offensive numbers playing next to Ibaka are just like off the charts. It's, it's absurd. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, I would love, that's why I would love to watch a series with these mm-hmm. players because I would, I would really like to see like how the jazz would fare when they have to, when they're, when their smaller players are forced to defend the attack, mm-hmm. um, which just doesn't happen often in the regular season. And so uh, it would just be really compelling basketball. Yeah. And I also think that the Clippers could do some interesting things if they went small, um, yeah. which again, was just not an option because they had no healthy perimeter players in this yeah. game, but like they've, they've had, I mean, I wouldn't say they've had success cause it's, you know, regular season, but like there have been good stretches when they've had, you know, Marcus Morris at the five and then, you know, you surround him with basically the rest of the starters. So Beverly, George, Leonard, and Batum. And like, not only is that lineup super switchable on defense, then it's just five out on offense because all of those guys shoot like 40%, at least from three-pointers. I think Marcus Morris is leading the league in three-point percentage among guys who have at least hundred attempts. Um, Batum is like straight fire from the corners. And then like, like even all the other guys, like if Patrick Beverly is like your bad shooter in the lineup, he's still a career 38% three-point shooter. So uh, that's something that I think would be pretty interesting to watch against the jazz just because like, I mean, what you can't bang with Gobert inside, right? Like they have a beat yeah. too much and like that doesn't work. So um, you have to do something else. And I think that's where the Clippers strengths lie. It's just, I don't think that they're going to, you know, show all their cards during the regular season. Yeah. that And that's the, that's the other piece of the, the chess match is that, you know, whether or not anyone wants to admit it, like on the team side, the, mm-hmm. the, the chess match begins with the regular season. They're not going to show all their cards against, especially against the teams that they think that they might meet in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know you already bought up, brought up like Juwan Morgan as a small ball five, which is definitely something I did not consider at all when I was thinking about talking about the Utah Jazz. <laughs> yeah. uh, but is there anything else you think there is about this team that sort of flies under the radar that makes them, you know, more special, more impressive than they already are. I think that, I mean, one of the things is like, you've got guys like Mike Conley. He was supposed to be the guy in Memphis, you know, like he, he was responsible for generating everything that happened there. And then he comes to the jazz and uh, it's sort of a liberating situation where he doesn't have to be the guy anymore. And so that, that frees him from, I think, pressure and then also gives him more um, opportunity and just able to have more of a dynamic game. And then you've got Donovan Mitchell, who, like, you know, by all accounts, should be the kind of player that is striving to become like a top tier superstar. But the statistics don't play out because he's also so unselfish and he's constantly trying to get guys other guys involved you know joe ingles could probably very easily hit 10 threes a game but he's way more interested in getting like a nice pocket pass to Derek favors absolutely (laughs) and um and then you know royce o'neill who is you know you've got all these guys like uh gobert conley uh and i think it's Royce O'Neal and Boyan Bogdanovich, those are the NBA leaders in total plus minus. And so oh, wow. four of the top five are on the jazz and you don't get guys having that good of a plus minus over the course of, you know, 30 games, unless they're doing a lot more than just scoring. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, it does remind me of something that I'd forgotten about earlier. Uh, I know I've, I've seen some people say that like they wish the jazz had one more wing defender 
And against most teams, I feel like it's not a huge issue because there's maybe one wing who can do damage against you. Like if you think about the Lakers, like there's just LeBron um, or even with like Ben Simmons or other teams you might face down the road. But the Clippers, I think, are uniquely positioned in that they have two, six, eight guys who are just beasts to deal with in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And that's I always feel like Paul George is like the matchup buster because you put your best wing defender on Kawhi and then all of a sudden you're stuck with somebody six four guarding Paul George and he can just shoot over the top of them every single time so is I mean is that an advantage you think that the Clippers might have were these two teams to match up in a series like like yeah defending Paul yeah. George or is that something that like I'm missing that the Jazz are doing a perfectly fine job of defending wings no that's definitely I mean that's definitely I think one of their biggest weaknesses um because like you said, you'd either have to stagger the lineups so that you always have Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal basically on those two players. You can't mm-hmm. like have them playing any other minutes except for on those guys. And that doesn't exactly work out with the way that the rotations are working right now with the Jazz. But I mean, that's that's probably like their only option to cover those players in the way that you would want them to be covered right now. And then outside of that, like you said, if you've got Royce on you know, Kawhi, and then you've got, you end up probably with like Bogdanovich on Paul George and, you know, that they probably put Paul Bogdanovich George is gonna, on Kawhi, I think. Yeah. Paul George is going <laughs> to attack. I mean, either one of them are going to yeah. attack those any day of the week. And so uh, that's, that's probably the biggest weakness that the jazz have right now, like looking towards the latter half of the season and the playoffs is, you know, how, how are they going to stagger their lineups to be able to do that? And like, they, they got Shaquille Harrison um, on the biannual in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, known as a defender, but they, they haven't even played him outside of garbage time at all this season. And so I don't know, like if they really trust him to come in and provide good minutes, even though he is a trusted defender. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a problem. Yeah. I kind of forgot Shaq Harrison was on the jazz actually. Yeah. Um. yeah. And you wouldn't be alone. <laughs> Yeah, I just the more we talk about this, the more I'm intrigued about just, about just all of the the different ways these two teams stack up against each other. Like we haven't even brought up Lou Williams against Jordan Clarkson, which is just a delightful <laughs> matchup. Considering oh, I love it, <laughs> Jordan. I think like learned half of his moves from Lou Williams when they were on the yeah. Lakers together. <laughs> uh, I just I love players like that. I mean, Lou Williams has been one of my favorite players for a long time, just because I love a guy who like who came into the NBA with all of the unearned confidence in the world and yeah. has, and has only gained more confidence. Like those are the type of players that I really enjoy watching. And Lou Williams and Jordan Clarkson just epitomize that where, you know, they could, they could have a defender 10 feet away from them or could, they could have a defender two inches away from their face. And they, at both times they're thinking to themselves, this is a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been really remarkable to watch like Clarkson transform into this player who like a lot of the shots, like you said, they, they think they're good shots, but his efficiency is high enough to where like, yeah, he should be thinking those are good shots. Like when he was playing the Clippers yesterday, you know, he would get like an inch of space off of a screen and just immediately be launching from three point range. I'm like, like that's, that's quite a lot of confidence Jordan Clarkson has, but like that hasn't changed. It's just the shots are going in more often. Yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, it's, it's weird to say this. Uh, It's weird that I, that we don't say this enough about the NBA and weird that I'm going to say it is that, uh, it's really about practice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I mean, Jordan Clarkson, I mean, you know, we look at three years ago, there was like 20 something percent of his shots came from the mid range. And then the following year it was down to 14%. And then this year, I think he's taken 
maybe five shots from the mid range. Wow. Uh, all season. So he's either getting into the paint at the rim or he's taking threes. I mean, there's been a couple of times where you could see him like consciously make the decision where he's like a step or two inside the arc and he's like, Oh, nope. And dribbles back and takes a three instead. So, you know, it's, been drilled into him that those are the efficient shots and he wants to be efficient. And so he's completely like taken the mid range game out of his game and um, it's worked out really well for him. Yeah. I mean, I haven't like, you know, given it a great deal of thought, but I would have to imagine he's like right up there for six man of the year favorites, just because you, you have to keep an eye on him at all times on the court. Like there's just, there's just no way you can lose attention when Jordan Clarkson is there, because like you said, he's really capable finisher at the rim too. And then just, just launching all the time whenever he gets the ball. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things that for anyone that wants to keep an eye on Jordan Clarkson during a game, one of my favorite things that he does is like, I think he's the NBA leader in, in guys who look like they're about to lose the ball, but then don't mm. uh, where he he'll be dribbling into traffic or around a defender. And he looks like he's completely out of control. And then he just like makes this circus shot layup at the rim. It's like, Okay, that was going bad for a while, but it ended well. <laughs> and I, I think he leads the league in that. Yeah, I love a good no, 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 yes player. Yeah, Those are exactly. just delightful to watch. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I have uh, sufficiently exhausted everything I wanted to know about the Utah Jazz, specifically as they relate to the Clippers. So is there anything you wanted to add, Sarah, or anything we should talk about the Clippers at all? Or I mean, a lot of what I've been wondering about the Clippers lately is just like what's going on with some of the players. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, what's going on with Luke Kennard? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you don't mean specifically like why he sat down. No. Okay. Just like what's going on with Luke Kennard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To me, uh, Luke Kennard's role is just like a little too duplicitous of what Lou Williams does and Lou Williams is better at it. Uh, that is literally the role that he has created in the NBA. Um, I think Luke Kennard is just used to having the ball in his hands more often than what the Clippers want him to do. They want him to make quicker decisions, whereas he's a lot more of a like feel the game out type of player first. Right. And that adjustment has been really tricky for him. Like they want him to just be more aggressive, take quicker shots, like make yeah, they want him to just go. Exactly. And that's not his style of play. And I I assume that there is some sort of middle ground that they can get to. It's just really hard when, you know, he was getting back to just playing NBA games when the season started, like he hadn't played since December of 2019, you know, before the Clippers got him. And then obviously there's like such little practice time. I think the Clippers have had six official practices this season. Um, Yeah. Lord knows how many they've actually had, but (laughs) six official practices. So yeah, it's, it's been a tricky adjustment. uh, Just, his style of play meshing with their system. But the fact that like, you can just put him on the court and like expect him to make, you know, 40 some percent of his three pointers means that there's going to be a role for him. If the Clippers like need that depth. But I think they're realizing that they're just going to be relying on Lou more than Kennard, which I mean, seemed obvious to me at the start of the season, but it's just been emphasized, you know, with the yeah. play. And what's the concern level like with uh, like Paul George and Kawhi? Like, do we think that, like there's actual injury concern here. Uh, I think more so with Kawhi than Paul George. Um, wait, did I say that correctly? Um, I think the, the, the Paul George injury, he has like a swollen toe, uh, a bone okay. edema, and they just have to wait for the swelling to go down, um, which 
honestly, I, I have no idea what the timetable is. Like even in the research that I've done, it's just, it's entirely murky process about when that happens. Right. Um, but um, with Kawhi, like the fact that it's a lower leg injury, um, that's sort of what, you know, kept him from playing back-to-backs last year. And then, you know, was like the source of his concerns back, even dating back to San Antonio is a little more. Yeah. That's a history with that. Exactly. Yeah. But then they also like have listed Kawhi as questionable versus PG. Who's just been like straight up out. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's really hard to say. Um, Tsai Lu has done a really good job of adopting the doc rivers mantra of, I don't talk to the medical staff, so I don't have the answers to any of your questions. <laughs> I think that most of, most of the NBA, most of the NBA is at that point now yeah. where uh, we'll either, they'll either get, you know, I don't know. That's that they deal with that or yeah. they get like, or, or we get the, you know, that's a question for the medical staff, which, yep. you know, we don't get to talk. Would to you like staff. to make them available to <laughs> <Yeah>. us? <laughs> please do. I would love to talk to them on a weekly basis, if I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah. It's uh, just a, it's a bit unfortunate that all of those interests sort of like collided at once because, you know, once you add on the fact that like Nick Batum got a concussion against Cleveland, it's just, a, yeah. you know, a perfect storm of everything. And so unfortunate too, with their schedule, because I mean, not, not just with the jazz, but it would have been nice to have everything going for the stretch before the before the all-star break exactly i mean they get the nets right after the jazz leave too so that would have been a good game to have everybody healthy for yeah yeah it's uh it's hard to say with the injuries uh there have been like a lot of really nice developments while those guys have been out like i i think lou williams has really found his rhythm again um reggie jackson's had some nice moments i mean he even went after gobert a couple times during last night's game yeah (laughs) he did i mean a couple of those ended well like that was not a bad outing from reggie jackson and then you know, they have this nice find with their two-way guy, Amir Coffey, who also had some nice minutes yesterday, although he got totally fooled by one of uh, Joe Engel's fakes. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's just a matter of, you know, knowing the scouting report. <laughs> yeah, well, and like, that thing is undefeated. I can't yeah. believe how many people still get faked out by that. It's been happening for six years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed watching Coffee and Man. Like, those are, those are two players that, I mean, I'm sort of just like a, a hoops junkie where, all of the starting lineups, you're so familiar with everything from them anyways, that mm-hmm. I, I like to pay attention to some more of the French players and get really excited when you can see a little bit of a diamond in a rough. And, and those guys, uh, I really like their games. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, a knock on the Clippers last year was they just didn't have enough two-way players down the stretch against Denver. Like you, you had your two main guys and then everybody else was sort of very one-sided on the court. Yeah. And they're finding some depth that has like the ability to play on both sides. Like Terrence Mann, yeah, maybe he can't shoot threes, but like he's got a nice little mid-ranger. He can create with the ball a little bit. Coffee's been shooting the ball really well and they both are good defensive players. Like um Terrence was just absolutely hounding Jimmy Butler the other day. Less successful against the Jazz, but still like uh, but really- he's still good. He reminds uh just cuz it was it's fresh on my mind because they the Jazz just played the Sixers, but watching Tyrese Maxey mm. uh Terrence reminds me a lot of him where he's just like very bouncy, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, and like when he goes to like spin in the lane or when he's dribbling around a screener, it's not, there's not a lot of angles to it. It looks really fluid. And, uh, that, that's a really good trait to have. That's, that's interesting. I had not made that comparison. Um, Tyrese Maxey, I always make my notes when I'm watching the games by people's initials. So they have yeah. the same initials. <laughs> so that's something. Yeah. That is, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this was really great, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking your time to talk with me about the number one team in the NBA. Yeah, um, no problem at all. Where should people go if they want to find more of your work? 
Uh, you can find me on all of the social medias at NBA Sarah, or you can read my jazz coverage at Deseret.com. Excellent. And it's really good. I can totally vouch for Sarah's stuff. That's how I know anything that I know about the jazz. So <laughs> I really appreciate I, that. I appreciate that. There's love on both sides from here. All right. Well, thanks so much, Sarah. Take care. And to all of our listeners, thank you for taking the time to tune into the Clips Nation podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, Spotify, or Google, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.